0: Good morning, welcome to Cornerstone Bible Church this morning, all that are here this morning as well as on the live stream, we welcome you and wish you all a happy new year. Uh, just one quick reminder, two weeks from today we will, Lord willing, planning to go to uh, two services and first service will start at 9 o'clock, go through 10.30, the second service will start at 10, at 11, go through 12.30, there will be a 30 minute pause in between, so just keep that in mind. Okay, this morning we'll be back in 1 John chapter 3, we'll turn there in a moment. Let me first pray before we start and commend ourselves to the Lord. Our precious Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will oversee what is said here and apply your word to each of our hearts, your transforming word, that through it we may be transformed more and more into the image of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So you may be turning to 1 John chapter 3, and we'll be again in the first three verses there this morning. Now, um, this morning we'll be speaking about the uh, subject or the theme, really, the doctrine of adoption, mainly, in it's I was talking to Brother Doug, before the service, and he mentions you know the adoption is the forgotten link of the chain of salvation, which is true of chain redemption. Uh, it is not often talked about, but it is part of the passage we're in this morning. So Lord willing, we will talk about this now, chapter three of first John, but we'll begin begin reading in verse 29 because as you'll see, it's, it's linked to the message this morning and to the passage we're looking at. So let's begin reading in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. (laughs) Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the recipients of inexhaustible spiritual blessings from our Father, from God our Father and Father. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 states Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And while it may seem impossible to improve upon such blessings as regeneration, conversion, union with Christ and justification, the word of God speaks of yet another spiritual blessing in the application of redemption, that is the father's adoption of believers as his children. And as we Just mention, it is a blessing that is prominent throughout the Bible, but not often talked about in its prominence. In the New Testament, adoption describes God's fatherly love for the believer as a member of God's family. God took every legal measure to rescue us from sin and make us a part of his family. As planned in eternity past, The son purchased believers at Calvary. And we, as we lay hold of the blessing of adoption at the time of our conversion for, says the Apostle Paul, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Notice the language, sons of God, speaks of being in the family of God, having been adopted by him. So as we're looking at 1 John This morning, and these verses that we read, we find that John connects the new birth, which is mentioned at the end of verse 29, when he says those that are born of him, and he connects it to our adoption as children of God. Here at the beginning of chapter 3, when he states that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Now, we need to understand that these are not the same thing. New birth or regeneration and adoption are di- different blessings and different aspects of our salvation. For those who are true believers, God could have given us the new birth, he could have given us spiritual life and justification, but yet not necessarily have adopted us as his sons and daughter because these are two different aspects of our salvation but God and his love adopted us and this is a wonderful, wonderful blessing for the believer. Now why does John go from the uh, new birth at the end of chapter 2 to adoption in chap- chapter 3 as he presents this wonderful, wonderful blessing of God Because mentioning the new birth in verse 29 of chapter 2 brings to mind the closely related blessing of adoption. John is captivated by this concept of adoption by God, as we can see by the awe of God's magnificent adopting love that he expresses when he says, see or behold in some translations, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called Children of God, he expresses this as a wonderful truth and is a tremendously uh, calls us to behold to observe to to just revel in god's love and he wants us to be awed and captivated by it when as believers we fully realize and comprehend the blessing and the privilege of being accepted by God as his children just think of that we are accepted by God as his children it has significant impact on our understanding of who we are in our relationship to our heavenly father at the end of chapter 2 john made the point that the new birth affects how we live he says you know that That he is righteous, because you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Those who are born of him will will practice righteousness. Now, adoption, the same thing occurs with adoption in terms, it affects how we live because of its tremendous and wonderful implications. Adoption in chapter 3 that we're looking at and then in verse 2 ends with our glorification when it states that now <clears throat> we are children of God and it does not yet appeared what we will be but we know that when he appears, that is Christ we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And then in verse 3 Pursuit of holiness is required because as we have this hope fixed on Him, it says, we purify ourselves. Now, this is not that we are the authors of our purification, but the fact that in Him we pursue our sanctification, living in holiness. So, adoption certainly fits the theme of this paragraph in John. So then, when regeneration, or the new birth, is followed by our adoption, and John wants us to grasp the magnificence of this wonderful truth. Now, he begins by explaining in verse 1 the reason for our adoption. Notice, he says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. It's because of the love of the Father, the love that he has lavishly bestowed upon us. See how great a love the Father bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. The reason that God has chosen to adopt us as his children, verse 1 says, is his great magnificent love. We said last time when we were in this passage that the Greek word that is translated how great a love is a term that has no precise parallel in English. It literally means of what country. It implies a reaction of astonishment. It is a, is the Father's love is unearthly, foreign to this world, and so it is. God loves his children with a love that it's impossible to describe fully in any human language, and that is utterly foreign to normal, human human understanding and experience the love god has given to us has bestowed on us has lavished on us and the greek word for love in verse 1 is the familiar greek word agape it's a love that is not motivated by emotion and but rather is motivated by the will so god has purpose in in his will to love us this way god set his will in seeking our good and especially on adopting us now verse 1 points us to a rich truth about the love of god that moved him to adopt us as his own sons and daughters god's adopting love is here shown to be a specific love It's a specific love. Because it's very specific in its object. Because notice it is bestowed only on whom? On us. Not on the world at large, but on us. Now, whom does John mean here when he says bestowed on us? And he also says we... Well, the epistle is addressed to believers and he includes himself in this statement. Therefore, he means all genuine Christians, all those who in true saving faith have believed and come to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. God's adopting love is specific. It is bestowed on those who have truly believed in Jesus Christ, received him as Lord and Savior, not on the world at large. Also, God's adopting love is a special love. What kind of love is this? It's the kind of love that moved God to adopt those who are redeemed, to adopt them as his own children, to call them his children. It's a special kind of love. Verse 1 in our passage here makes that very clear. So see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. God loves his own with a unique, special, eternal, adopting love. And God's special love for his own is purpose towards adopting us as his own children. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption, as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Then in verses 4 and 5, Paul states that God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Again, here, the magnificent... Adopting love of Christ, of God, is in view. When we take these verses together, we see that God chose us for adoption before he created the universe. Before the universe sprang into existence, before the very first molecule was formed, God marked us out with this incomparable love. He chose us, he predestined us, for the great privilege of being his beloved children through adoption. In a great act of love, God determined before the foundation of the world that he would give his only son to redeem us and to adopt us into his everlasting family. Ephesians chapter 2 states, beginning in verse 4, God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. So it was not because of our goodness. It was not because of anything in us. And this is abundantly clear at the end of verse 5 in this passage. He states, by grace you have been saved it is only by God's grace that we were saved. He loved us and will eternally continue to love us according to the kind intention of his will. It's God's unique, special, gracious, sovereign love by which God calls sinners. And this is remarkable because those he calls are those who were his enemies and now have been adopted as his children. And as his children, we are absolutely secure in his adopting love. Absolutely secure in the Father's adopting love. Back in 1 John in the passage we're looking at, verse 1, the word bestowed or given tells us that this is a gift, God's love can't be earned, it can't be purchased. <clears throat> the tense of the verb in the Greek here emphasizes that this gracious gift of love was given to us in the past, and it'll always be ours, it will never be taken away. Romans eight chapter uh, verses thirty-seven and following states, but all these things are were overwhelmingly In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As God's beloved children, we both temporally, here in time and space, And eternally, we're absolutely secure in God's love. And what a reassuring blessing and truth this is, that we are secure in in his love. Back to our passage in 1 John, the next expression in verse 1 leads us to examine the reality of our adoption. The reality of our adoption. Look at verse 1 again. He says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. John's point is this. Here's how great a love the Father has given to us. It's so great that he calls us his children. Now the Greek word for call here means to identify someone by either a name or by an attribute. The point is, if God calls us his children, it means we are his children. We actually have that quality. It's a reality. So John states, and such we are, to emphasize that point. God has truly, really adopted us as his own children. Now, we are not like Christ, who is his only begotten eternal Son, but we are truly children of God. Now that is quite astonishing and overwhelmingly to comprehend when we consider what Scripture says that we were by nature. Think about what Scripture says we were by nature. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, or the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We were dead in our trespasses and sins without any possibility of being children of God. Did you catch that last part? Without any possibility of being children of God because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were sons of disobedience. Dead in our sin. And then in the following verse, verse three, it says, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And according to first John in chapter three and verse ten, we were by nature children of the devil. There it says, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. So everybody in this world is either a child of God or a child of the devil. So either you're still, like you were by nature, how you were born, a child of the devil, or you're a child of God because you have been made a child of God through redemption in Christ. That is the only way. Jesus makes this very clear in John chapter 8 and verse 44 when he says to those who are listening to him, <clears throat> who are not believers in him, he says, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. There is the reality that rests over every human being outside of Christ. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father is what you want to do. And until we repented and believed in Jesus Christ, the devil was our father. But all of that changed at the moment of our salvation. God adopted us as his children. That's why J.I. Packer calls adoption the highest privilege that the gospel offers the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Have you ever considered that? The highest privilege that the gospel offers is our adoption. But that brings us to the question, what does it mean to be adopted by God? See, adoption, like Regeneration, like being born of God, is a very prominent important biblical theme. As we think about the meaning of our adoption, let's first examine the differences between regeneration, the new birth, and our spiritual adoption. Regeneration and adoption are not the same thing. Adoption is different than, but never separate from. Regeneration, and this is important to keep in mind. It is different from, but never separate from regeneration. There are several ways it's clear in scripture they're not the same thing. For first of all, regeneration or the new birth precedes faith. First John chapter five, verse one: whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever believes The term "believes" conveys the idea of continuing faith, making the point that the mark of genuine believers is that they continue in faith throughout their life. Saving faith is not simply intellectual acceptance, but wholehearted belief that is permanent. Whoever truly places his or her faith in Jesus Christ as the only Savior... That person has been born again, born of God. Now, this is a reference to the new birth, regeneration, and is the same word that John uses in verse 29 of the second chapter of first John, which we just read when he says, Those who are born of Him. It's also the same word that the Lord Jesus used in John chapter 3, verse 7, when he told Nicodemus, You must be born again. Now the tenses of the Greek verbs in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1 that we read reveals a significant theological truth. And that truth is that ongoing faith is the result of the new birth and therefore the evidence of the new birth. The opening phrase of this verse literally reads, Whoever is believing that Jesus is the Christ has been Begotten of God. The point is that saving faith is the result of the new birth, not the cause. Christians do not keep themselves born again by believing. On the contrary, it is their continuing faith that gives evidence that they have been born again. The faith that God grants the believer in regeneration is the new birth, in the new birth, is permanent and cannot be lost. Thus, the children of God will manifest the reality that they have been born again by continuing to believe in God's Son, the Savior. The new birth brings us into a permanent faith relationship with God in Christ. You are born of God and out of the new new birth you're given the capacity to believe and thus you believe. Regeneration is a cleansing from sin and a creation of spiritual life. It's a change that God produces in us, and this is divinely granted. God grants spiritual life, and it's a fundamental recreation of the whole person. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. On the other hand, adoption is a legal declaration about us. 1 John chapter 1, I'm sorry, the gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, to those who believe, to them he gave the right to become his children. To those who believed, gave the right, you hear the language there, the right was given to become children of God. So we understand that these are two different realities, both the adoption and regeneration. They both happen at the moment of salvation, but biblically, logically, regeneration comes first. Then we are given repentance and faith. We repent We believe we are justified. And all those, notice all those who are justified in that same moment are adopted by God. All who are justified in that same moment are adopted by God. So what does adoption mean? First, it does not mean that we become sons in exactly the same way that Christ is God's son. Jesus is called God's only begotten son, Familiar verse, of course, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. His only begotten Son. John one fourteen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the Greek word for only begotten is Monogenes, which literally means one of a kind, unique. Christ is God's one of a kind Son. He's the only Son of God by nature. He's eternally the Son of God. And Jesus manifested the same essential glory as the Father because as God he possessed the same nature. Monogenes, the only begotten identifies Christ as a unique son of God, and distinguishes Christ from believers. Believers who are sons of God in a different sense. In our adoption, we're granted the full legal rights and privileges of sonship in a family as we recognize what adoption is. We did not belong to that family by nature. We just read how we were enemies of God how we were separated from him. And the Lord Jesus certainly did belong to God's family by nature. He was eternally the Son of God. So what then is our adoption? Well, let me give you a definition of adoption. In adoption, God places regenerated and justified sinners into his family. God places regenerated and justified sinners into his family so that they become sons and daughters of God and thus enjoy all the rights and privileges of one who is a member of God's eternal family. What an amazing, inscrutable truth that is. We are placed in God's family with all the rights and privileges of belonging to to his family. What a wonderful reality. Justification is the legal declaration that we are righteous before God as judge with respect to the demands of the law. And that is not because of our achieving that, but it's only because of the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us at salvation. Christ's righteousness is imputed. Therefore, the judge declares us free of the penalty. However, adoption is a legal declaration that we who have been justified by the judge are now made members of the judge's family. And we are made members of the judge's family by his love and grace. That is what our adoption is. The ultimate cause for our adoption is the love and grace of the Father. As we look back at Ephesians chapter 1 that we just read, notice that just as he, that is the Father, chose us in him, that is Christ, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That means his choice wasn't based on anything in us, and he chose us in order that we would be holy and blameless before him, and he chose us, why? In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. In his love he predestined us to adoption in Christ. Now the Father is the ultimate cause of our adoption, adoption. And what moved the Father to adopt us as his children? Well, look at the end of verse four. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, to himself. He set his love upon you. He set his love on each true Christian. In eternity past, he decided to love you. And he decided to adopt you as his own child. It was driven by his love. Also notice what verse 6 says to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. He freely bestowed his grace on us. And this was done to the praise of the glory of his grace. It is God's grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And in our adoption as children of God, both God's love and grace are in full display Magnificently so. But finally, go back and look at that phrase at the beginning of verse 6 when he says, To the praise of the glory of his grace. Why did God do all of that for us? Why did he want us to be his children? We are saved and made children of God to the praise of the glory of his grace. Above all else, he elects and saves us for his own glory. The ultimate reason for everything that exists is the glory of his grace. And that is why, as God's children, we should do everything we do to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The question... How could we, who were his enemies, who were completely the opposite of everything that God is, how could we become his children? How is that possible? The way he accomplished this, the means that he used to get to to our adoption was the death of his only begotten son. Turn to the book of Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. There it states. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that what that we might receive the adoption as sons. But when the fullness of time came, that is, when everything in human history and in God's eternal plan, in His Sovereign providence was just right. God sent forth his tongue, time. And the fullness of time was accomplished. His unique son was born of a woman. He had to be like us to stand in our place. And he was born under the law, that is, under the responsibility to keep God's law, which he did perfectly, which earned him the qualification to stand in our place. Now, he was qualified because he was, like us, born of a woman. And he was qualified because, unlike us, he kept God's law perfectly. And all of this, in verse 5, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. He was under the law and kept it perfectly. We were under the law and failed miserably. And he came and was like us and lived here as one of us, keeping God's law so that he could redeem us, so that he could, by his death, purchase our forgiveness. God sent his son in order that he might redeem us, in order that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. So the only way our adoption was possible was by the sacrifice of his only begotten son, the only way it could ever happen. So that was God's provision to make our adoption possible. The sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But how does one actually then become a son and daughter of God? How is one actually adopted into God's family? How does someone go from being a child of the devil to becoming a child of God? And the answer is by faith in Jesus Christ. Go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received them, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe his name. So to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. But who were the ones who received him? According to this verse, they were the ones who believed in his name. In other words, they were those who had faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, our adoption was planned in eternity past. It was purchased in the death of Christ on the cross, and it was applied to us at the moment of salvation. That means if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are now a child of God. You are in the family of God. And John captures this, look, Back in First John in chapter 3, where he says, And such we are. Such we are. John's point is that our being called the children of God is a reality. It's not just a title. It's a fact. Now, in verse 2, he said, Beloved, now we are children of God. God the Father has already legally placed us into his family. We have become the sons and daughters of God, and we enjoy all the rights and privileges as members of God's eternal family. When God saved you, he legally adopted you in the very same sense that a human parent adopts a child. God truly thinks of you, Christian, as one of his children. Galatians 4, 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave... But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now, along with our adoption, there are some amazing privileges. First of all, we consider that there are some current privileges to our adoption. For one, God has given us the Holy Spirit Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 because you are sons notice the reason because you are sons that means because you have been adopted God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts because you've been adopted you have the Holy Spirit God has given us access to him in prayer I don't think we really fully appreciate this again Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 because you are sons God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 says, You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now that word Abba occurs only three times in the New Testament. It occurs in those two verses we just read And the only other time it appears in the New Testament is in Mark chapter 14, verse 36 in Gethsemane when the Lord Jesus was praying and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. The word Abba is actually an Aramaic word. And Abba is how small children addressed their father. It's a term of endearment, that includes intimacy and respect. The Holy Spirit confirms our adoption by teaching us to cry, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. The Spirit makes us aware of this new relationship. So the Holy Spirit makes us aware that we can come in intimacy to our God as our intimate Daddy, Father, with all our needs, with all our care. The spirit of adoption teaches us to cry out to our father in prayer. Just as a human child constantly cries out to his father in the midst of difficulty and trouble. The evidence that the readers of this, that passage are truly God's children is that they have received the spirit and hence they call on God as their beloved father. The fundamental proof and evidence that believers are truly God's adopted sons is that God has given them the Holy Spirit, and their sonship is expressed by their acclamation that God is their Father, and they can come to Him in intimacy and prayer at any time. God is a loving and dear Father of those who believe in Jesus Christ. And as our Father He loves us, He loves us as His children, John sixteen twenty seven says, The Father Himself loves you. In John seventeen twenty three, says Jesus Lord Jesus praying, and he says, Father, you have loved them even as you have loved me. If you think of that, you have loved them even as you have loved me. Same love that he has for his only begotten son he has for you and for me. Another benefit of our adoption is he cares for us and he provides for our needs. In Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 25, of course a long passage, we're not going to read it, but the Lord Jesus basically says, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Now that pretty much includes everything, doesn't it? Then he goes, of course, on to mentioned the fact that how God takes care of the birds and the the flowers and different needs and God's aware of the needs that we have but then in verse 32 it says for your heavenly father knows what you need that you need all these things but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you our heavenly father cares for all our needs. And this is reassuring to us in our adoption. And then he lovingly corrects us as his children. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. You know, this is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him for those whom the lord loves he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives it is for discipline that you endure this verse 7 god deals with us as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline another benefit is that christ is our older brother romans 8:29 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. In the reality of our adoption by God into his family, then Christ is our older brother. He's the preeminent one. Jesus Christ is the mo- mo- most notable one among those who have become brethren by being made like him. In Hebrews states for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren he's not ashamed to call us brothers and then in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 he had to be made like his brothers in all things another benefit reality of our adoption is that we are brothers and sisters in God's family As a member of his family, we are brothers and sisters. Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. All those who are part of the body of Christ, that part of the household of God. God's family is made up of people from all, from everywhere, from all time, who have trusted in him. Redeemed sinners not only become heavenly citizens, but also members of God's own family. We're members of God's household. So you and I belong to the family of God. We are to relate to each other as members of that family. And then there are some future privileges which are hard to fathom, but we have his promise that we will receive an eternal inheritance so future proud privileges of adoption. Galatians chapter four, verse seven. Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. We are heirs through God. Colossians one twelve, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then well known passage in First Peter chapter one, verses three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. And we are God's heirs and we are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 16, 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, again, adopted children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The term heirs of God emphasizes our relationship to God as our Father. And then we inherit a glorified body like Jesus Christ our Lord, and this we saw in our passage in 1 John. When he appears, we will be like him because he, we will see him just as he is. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 states, our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. And finally then, we as future Benefit of our adoption, we will inhabit the new heavens and new earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. He who overcomes, that is, all those who are true believers, will inherit these things, speaking about the new heavens and the new earth. And then God says, and I will be his God and he will be my son. These are staggering realities to think of this inheritance. So is this how we think of God as our adoptive father, as, as Abba, as our intimate father? If you're a Christian, if you repented and believe in Jesus Christ, this is how you ought to think of him because this is a reality as adoptive children of God. We were once a child of the devil and at that time, Our only relationship to the God of the universe was our creator, our rightful king, and our judge. But in Jesus Christ, our creator and king and judge has declared us righteous and has adopted us. And just as was true of Jesus, God is now also our Abba Father. We're truly his children, his sons and daughters. See how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called by God Himself, the children of God, and such we are. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth and reality of our adoption through our Lord Jesus Christ, of being your children, your beloved children. Help us, Lord, to really know and understand who we are as your adopted children. We're so thankful, Lord, that we can trust you as our Father. We're thankful, Lord, that we can come boldly before your throne in prayer and because of the fact that we have been adopted by you through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.